For our scripture reading, we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. begin reading uh, at verse 17 of chapter 3 that makes a reference to the image uh, and then we'll go on into chapter 4 2 Corinthians 3 starting at verse 17 now the Lord is that spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death worketh in us but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, 
knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures this morning. And what we just read and all the rest of Scripture is the basis for the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 3. There we read. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? By no means, but God created man good and after his own image, in true righteousness and holiness, that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. Whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness. Indeed we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Dearly beloved, in our Lord Jesus Christ, this Lord's Day is a number of fundamental doctrines that are taught in it. And there are those that go wrong on the specific doctrines that are mentioned in this Lord's Day. This Lord's Day speaks to us about the creation of man. It speaks to us about the fall of man. It speaks to us about the image of God 
and it speaks to us about God's work of regeneration. Many err with regard to these doctrines. First, with regard to the creation of man. There are many that do not maintain the truth of Scripture that man was created precisely as God tells us in his word. And not only the truth, not only the creation of man, but the creation of the other creatures also took place precisely as God has recorded for us in Scripture. Many do not teach that. With regard to the fall of man, Many reject the idea that man is so corrupt that he's wholly incapable. And to use that word, incapable of doing any good, wholly incapable, many reject that teaching. And yet it is indeed the case, and it is of fundamental, it is of great importance to understand that fundamental doctrine. That man by nature is wholly incapable of doing any good. That man by nature is inclined to all wickedness. Many reject that. (coughs) Concerning the image of God. Many redefine what's meant by the image of God. Rather than teaching what is taught here. This is a doctrine that is taught frequently. And this is a doctrine that comes up in, in, in colleges. They refer to themselves as Christian colleges. And sometimes in very first-year courses of such colleges that there will be instruction to try to give, set forth this idea of a worldview, as some may refer to it. And in that instruction, they'll very quickly start talking about the image of God sometimes. And then the the way they will define it is not the way that Scripture defines it. It is not the way that our creeds define it. Our creeds make a reference to this in a number of places, bringing out the fact that this is so fundamental, understanding what is meant by the fact that God created man after his own image. This Lord's Day explains it. It doesn't just say, after his own image, and stop. It explains what that means. And it is key to understand, it is of great importance to understand that. And to understand the the answer to the question, who bears God's image today? Who is the image of God? The passage that we read on the one hand answers the question. Who is referred to as the image of God? Well, Christ. Christ is the image of God. And what about us? The last verse of chapter 3 speaks of how We behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord and are changed into the same image. Who's that referring to? 
but God's elect people whom he regenerates. The Spirit works in them. God's people bear the image of God. But many teach differently than that. Many have a different view of what redemption is. They have a different view of creation, fall, redemption. And they may frequently speak of creation, fall, redemption, but their view of creation and their view of really what happened at the fall and their view of what redemption is is often not in harmony with what Scripture says. So this is a fundamental importance that we understand what is taught here and that we understand the truth concerning what's referred to as the antithesis, Lord willing, I plan to make some references to that today, uh, this morning, and then also this evening. The whole idea of the antithesis between the church and the world, between those in Christ and those outside, between the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent, and what our calling is in the midst of this wicked world, what our calling is. And how at the Church of Jesus Christ we are to preach Christ, as is mentioned in this passage, the importance of, of us preaching the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. So we consider this Lord's Day under the theme, Who Bears God's Image. We consider the creation of man. Secondly, the loss of God's image. And then thirdly, Christ as the image. First, with regard to the creation and the, and the fall of man, as we often say, these are real historical events. And there's many people that deny that. <clears throat> there are those that the way they'll deny it they may use language like, you know, when Genesis was written, it wasn't written to satisfy our 21st century curiosity about precisely how it happened. And people will write sentences like that. Like, what does that mean? It's not written to satisfy our 21st century curiosity about how it happened. The people write a sentence like that, and it, carry, it can carry with it at times, it carries with it the idea that the specific details about how it happened and how long the days were, you know, really isn't that in, important, and yet it is. It's of great importance. It's a question of simply, did it happen the way God tells us that it did? Is this the word of God? Infallibly inspired. If it is then what we have recorded here is the word of God, the creator. And he is telling us exactly what we need to know about creation. And specifically about the creation of man. Was he created out of the dust? Is that just a story? A made-up story, that is? Or is that real? And it really is the case. He was created out of the dust. 
and God formed him after his own image. It speaks of the distinction between man and, say, the animal, for example. It speaks of how God formed man after his own image. Man has a material body. He's of the dust. Man has a spiritual soul. And if somebody says, now, can you prove that, that man has a spiritual soul? Sure, the scriptures tell us that. And that's how we prove. We, we prove that going to what God says. How do we know what happens when we die? Well, we go to what God says. God has told us these things. He speaks to us about things we can't see. You know, the chapter that we read, says that our, we look at the things which are not seen. Or many would focus on things you can tell with your senses, your earthly senses, as they refer to the five senses, and that you can show by, you know, experimentation. How do we know about things that are not seen? Well, God tells us of these things. We we have our mind on things that are not seen. Things that God has told us and that we know are true. God created man good. He did not create man wicked and perverse. We say the same thing with regard to the angels. That they also work, they're creatures. It's important to confess that, that they are creatures and that they were created good. And here specifically, we're looking at man and the fact that scripture speaks of the fact that man was created good. He was not created wicked and perverse. When the question is asked, did God create man so wicked and perverse? That question is a follow-up from lesson Lord's Day 2. Lord's Day 2, it ended, Canst thou keep all these things perfectly? In no wise. For I am prone by nature, and makes a reference to man's nature. I'm prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. And then the question is, did God create man that way? When you say you're prone by nature to hate God, did God create man that way? So wicked and perverse? By no means. By no means. God created man good. After his own image. And scripture speaks of bearing the image of one's father. And that's an important point that will come up later. That scripture, when it talks about us, uh, talks about the image It's important to remember that principle that Scripture speaks of the bearing the image of one's father. In fact, later on in the book of Genesis, just in Genesis 5, it speaks about Adam begetting a son after his image. It uses the same language that it uses about the creation of man with regard to that phrase, after his image. So that one has that idea of bearing the image of 
of one's father. And then we can apply that to the idea that children of God today, those who are children of God, bear the image of their father in heaven. They're the ones that bear the image. Christ, who is the son of God, is the image of the father. When you ask now what's more specifically is meant by the, the image. What has been said, like in our Essentials book, it talks about that we reflect some of God's perfections. In a creaturely way, we resemble God. But some redefine what is meant by the image of God. And there's different ways that that's done. Some have, some have spoken of the image in a broader and a narrower sense. And it's important to be on guard against distinctions, be alert about distinctions. There are biblical distinctions. There are points where we show from Scripture an important distinction. But the key thing is to be able to show it from Scripture and to be on guard against those that would make an invent, an invent a distinction. And we talk about that quite a bit. Well, the image of God is one of those places. That there are those that have spoken about the image of God in a broader and in a narrower sense. So you divide the idea. And then ask the question, well, are you talking about the image in the broader or in the narrower sense? And then in a certain sense, the, the image in a broader sense, that's going to refer to all, something that all human beings bear the image in the broader sense, but in the narrower sense, only God's people. And they'll say that in the broader sense, the image of God refers to man having a will and having understanding. He has understanding and will. Well, even unbelievers have a will. And they can, they can understand logical reasoning, for example. So, therefore, they bear the image in a broader sense. But in a narrower sense, being righteous and holy and having a true knowledge of God, no. They, they don't have it in the narrower sense, but in a broader sense, they do. But that's not the way Scripture speaks of the image of God. It's not just that you have a will. An unbeliever has a will, but his will is in bondage. It's not just that you have a will, but whether your will is righteous and holy. Righteousness and holiness belong to the will. And, right, and we're separated from the will when man fell. Only when one's will is righteous and holy does he bear the image of God. Not just having a will. Secondly, with regard to the understanding... It's only when one's understanding is adorned with a true knowledge of God. If he has that true knowledge of God, then he's bearing the image of God. But an unbeliever does not have an understanding adorned with a true knowledge of God. Another way that the image of God is redefined is that the image of God is said to refer to uh, our rule 
We are said to be, it's that we are similar to God, and this is a common teaching today. That we're similar to God and that we rule over non-human creatures. We are imaging God when we're striving to develop the creation's hidden potentials. When we're doing that, then we are imaging God. Times they'll make reference to the when God created man, that he t- spoke of the subduing of the earth. And they'll say, now when man goes out and he's striving to, and he's ruling over the non-human creatures, and he's trying to develop the hidden potentials in the creation, then he is imaging God. They'll use language like God invites us to participate with him in filling and ordering the world. Or we're to take God's commands, let there be, and we're to take those commands and we're to develop the potentials in them. Quite striking the kind of language that sometimes is used about what our calling is here. Lord willing, we'll call, talk a little bit more about that uh, this evening. But looking specifically now at the idea of imaging God, they, they, they take the idea of the image of God, and now they talk about imaging God and about ruling over the non-human creatures. Scripture refers to the image and describes it, and our creeds rightly speak of it as righteousness, holiness, and a true knowledge of God. So you think of the will, righteous and holy, you think of the the understanding adorned with the true knowledge of God. And it's important to see that our creeds speak about this repeatedly. So if somebody is teaching this to young people from the viewpoint, this is the reformed understanding of the image. Where are you going to go to find the reformed understanding of what is meant by the image of God? One would think one would go to our confessions. Our confessions speak at length about the image of God. In fact, it would take a while to go through all the different references of, to them. And we have an example here. What does it mean? It says that he, after his own image, in true righteousness and holiness, that he might rightly know God, his creator. That's the way it describes it. After his own image means in true righteousness and holiness that he might rightly know God. That's the idea right there. And then other places like in the canons spell that out some more when it talks about righteousness and holiness belonging to the will. Like in the third and fourth head of the canons. And in the compendium, 
The compendium is a shorter version. We do have it in our creeds book. It's a shorter version of the Heidelberg Catechism that was written to give instruction to the, to the children called the compendium. And in the compendium, when it talks about the image of God in a short way, in a very short sentence describing what it is, it speaks of it exactly that way. True no righteousness and holiness, true knowledge of God. And where we get that, and our young people do know this, and our young people could answer this question as to where do we get that? Where does that come from? Especially those that are older in high school would know. They've been taught that now more than once. Where do we go to find that? How do we prove that? And you think of the passage in Ephesians and Colossians that speak on, uh, on the new man, the old man and the new man. Now, if one just remembers that, not remembers exactly where, but remembers in Ephesians and Colossians when it talks about the new man, the old man and the new man, and it talks about the new man specifically, it makes a reference to the image, bringing out clearly that the unbeliever does not bear the image, it's talking about the new man, those who've been regenerated. And when it talks about the new man, which refers to those who have a new heart, spiritual heart, it's important to see how it describes them. First, Colossians 3, verse 10. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge. There's the reference to knowledge. After the image, and it makes a specific reference to the image, put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Bringing out that, it, uh, that we're new creatures. As many would put the focus on just all creatures and then all human beings. The idea of uh, all human beings bear the image of God because we're all his creatures. All his creatures in that sense. That all human beings, we're all his creatures. He created man. When you talk about the image of God, God created man good, but then man fell. And then as far as who bears the image of God today, those who are new creatures. And the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So there's that knowledge of God reference. And then Ephesians 4 has the reference to righteousness and holiness. And again, uses the word created. So that when people talk about created, being creatures of God, that man, that God created man, well, we talk about the new creatures. Scripture speaks of us as new creatures bearing God's image. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created. 
in righteousness and true holiness. That clearly is a te the teaching of Scripture. It's, it's undeniable. The Belgian Confession, Article 14, says, God created man out of the dust of the earth and made and formed him after his own image and likeness, good, righteous, and holy. And you see how that makes sense? God is righteous. Those who bears his image are righteous. God is holy. Those who bear his image are holy. That's the idea of the image of God. He was created that way. He was created after the image of God, formed after his image, and then, then man fell. And by sin, this is quite the language that our Belgic Confession uses. By sin, he separated himself from God, who was his true life. That says something about sin. And the seriousness of sin. Separating himself from God, who was his life, his true life. And he forfeited excellent gifts that God had given him. Now there's a distinction with regard to the word gifts. And this is a place in our creeds that you will see a reference to some gifts he still retains. Other gifts our creeds speak of him forfeiting. There are some gifts he does still retain. They are sufficient to leave man without excuse. The Belgic Confession, Article 14, speaks of that, that there are certain gifts that man, even an unbeliever, still has, but they are not, not in the sense, you know, he still has some gifts, he's able to do some good. That's not, that's not the case. He's wholly incapable of doing any good. They're sufficient to leave him without excuse. The, the canons, the third and fourth head, article four, explains that in quite detail. He has some knowledge of God. He knows there's a God. He knows the difference between good and evil, etc. Sufficient to leave him without excuse. But when talking about the image, when our creed speaks specifically about the image, righteousness, holiness, true knowledge of God, then it says he has forfeited those excellent gifts. Now he has a depraved, corrupt nature. And you read of that in the third and fourth head of the canons, the first, the very first, the third and fourth head talks about the corruption of man and his conversion. 
And the first article in that section on the corruption of man and his conversion to God, the very first article talks about the image of God in line with what we've already said. But then when it talks about the fall, it says, revolting from God by the instigation of the devil and abusing the freedom of his own will, he forfeited these excellent gifts and on the contrary entailed on himself blindness of mind. Instead of having the true knowledge of God, his creator, which is referred to earlier in the article, now his mind is blind. Horrible darkness. Vanity and perverseness of judgment become wicked, rebellious, and obdurant in heart and will. His heart, his will, his will not righteous and holy. His will is wicked, rebellious. In, he's in bondage to sin and impure in his affections. Our creeds make very clear in that first article of the third and fourth head of the canons that when man fell, he lost the image. It describes what the image is, and then it talks about him forfeiting these excellent gifts. It also says he remains a man. So one is not to go in the direction of thinking, well, if man doesn't bear the image of, you say an unbeliever doesn't bear the image of God, then you're saying he's not human. That's not true. We're not saying that. Though he remains human, and our creeds address that too. It says he still has the human nature. The third and fourth head, same section, Article 16. So that when Article 1 speaks of his losing the image, Article 16 says he's still a man. He hasn't it's not that he's lost the human nature. We talked about the fact that he still has a will, for example. Still has a human will, but his will's in bondage. His will's rebellion. He's still a man, but he's a man who is dead in sin. Dead in sin. Wholly incapable of doing any good. So when you talk about what goes on in the world, it's important to remember that the majority by far of the human beings on this earth are wholly incapable of doing any good. That's still true of us by nature. So what's true of the unbelievers can also be said about us by nature. We're prone to hate God and our neighbor. We have a depraved nature, too. Well, we can go on and talk about the new man, 
as we looked at those verses. But when you talk about an unbeliever, you're, they don't have a new heart. Wholly incapable of doing any good. When man sinned, Adam, our head, sinned, we were guilty. Adam sinned as our head. When he sinned, we were guilty. That's referred to as original guilt. The man who sinned was guilty, and now his, his nature was corrupt. And a corrupt stock has a corrupt offspring. Man after the fall begat children in his own likeness. We talked about that a, a moment ago. Children bearing the, their father's image. Well, that, that same principle is applied to, to the idea of us having children Man after the fall begat children in his own likeness, which meant, now that man had fallen, a corrupt stock produced a corrupt offspring. Hence, all the posterity of Adam, all the children of Adam, all the posterity of Adam, Christ only accepted, have derived corruption from their original parent. Not by imitation, but by the propagation of a vicious nature. And that's referred to in the canons, I mean in the, this Lord's Day, when the question is asked, whence proceeds the depravity of human nature? And the answer, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents. How important it is to confess that really happened. It's not just some, it's not some made-up, make-believe story. It really happened. From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise. Hence, our nature has become so corrupt. Notice it speaks about our nature. It's become so corrupt that we're all conceived and born in sin. And this is in the section about how great our sins and misery are. Some would make a distinction between being willing, unwilling, and unable. And say, well, it's not that man is unable, but he's unwilling. Well, our, our creeds use the phrase neither able nor willing to return to God. So that's another time. Sometimes people will make that distinction. He's unwilling. He's not unable but unwilling. Well, you can say unwilling and unable. Neither able nor willing to return to God. That's what the canon says in the third and fourth article three. And this one says right here, he's so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness. Man is in bondage. And when people talk about human beings having a free will, not what is referred to as when our creeds speak about the idea of the freedom of the will. The ones that have the free will 
are the ones whose will is righteous and holy? That's a question that sometimes young people will ask because they'll hear that idea too. In addition to the idea of the image, they'll hear that idea, well, we all have a, we all have a free will. Don't you believe that man has a free will? He has a will, but his will's not free. You talk about man by nature, his will's in bondage. That's the opposite of being free. His will's in bondage to sin. When God regenerates us, when that happens, then it says it is the case that spiritual obedience begins to reign. When God has regenerated us, spiritual obedience, obedience begins to reign in which the true and spiritual restoration and freedom of our will consist. So that doctrine, too, is clearly explained in our confession. So one wondering, where do you go to find an answer to these questions? It is clearly laid out in the 16th article of 3rd and 4th Head of Canon. The whole idea of the freedom of the will. Man by nature is in bondage. And that is brought up here in this Lord's Day from the viewpoint, how is it then, if we're wholly incapable of doing any good, if we are neither able nor willing to return to God, how is it going to be that anyone is saved? He's not able to return to God. How's he going to be saved? It would have to be entirely the work of God who quickens the dead. That they're dead. And God quickens them. Indeed we are, except we're regenerated by the Spirit of God. And that brings us to the idea that's brought out in this 2 Corinthians 4. Christ is the image, and those who are quickened by Christ who are new creatures in Jesus Christ are the ones that bear the image, the ones who are in the image, who is Jesus Christ. When people want to say humankind as the image, Scripture speaks of Christ as the image. God created man after the image of God, Man fell. Scripture speaks of our Redeemer, Christ. He is the image of God. We preach the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God. He's the word of God. He's the wisdom of God. He is the image of God. The Son is the image. 
God has become our Father in Christ. You think of how many, some will say, you know, well, we're all children of God. And as you young people know regarding that too, that you know, the, you know what Christ said to certain unbelievers when they said God was their father. That he told them that God was not their father. They were of their father, the devil. Our Heidelberg Catechism uses the same language. When we get to the Lord's Prayer, and we address God, our Father. What does that mean? Why do we address him as our Father? Well, God has become our Father in Christ. What about those that aren't in Christ? There's the antithesis between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman is Christ. And those who are in Christ are in the seed of the woman. The other are the seed of the serpent. And there is the antithesis. Antithesis has the idea of the opposite, exact opposite, and that there is opposition. How did we get to be regenerated? Did we ask God to regenerate us? Did we have to seek that? Is it that there's those that are dead and then they call out to God or they invite Jesus in and then they, then they get regenerated? When we're talking about regeneration now in the narrow sense of receiving a new heart, I say no, the person's dead. They're not able nor willing to return to God. They don't call out to God to regenerate them. God quickens them. They're saved by irresistible grace. It can be quickened even in the womb. Even in the womb. And those who have been quickened, they have their when you're talking about us from the viewpoint of the new man, then it talks about us bearing the image, righteous and holy. Still have the depraved nature. So we still have to put off the old man. We do have a true knowledge of God. And verse 18 of the previous chapter said, we all, talking about God's people, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's astounding. But notice it's particular. That it's particular is brought out right, it just goes right 
into chapter 4, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Has blinded their minds. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The God of this world. Satan referred to as the God of this world. Blinds the minds of them that believe not. That's a just judgment of God. God is sovereignly in control over all. Man by nature hates God. He'll receive not the love of the truth. And that's what we were like. That's what we're still like by nature. Still prone to hate God. But God has done a wondrous work in us and in our children. So that we delight to praise God. And so we, we gather together to worship. We want to praise him. We delight to do that. And our children, Lord works in our children. And we see our children have a sinful nature. As was talked about. We have a sinful nature, our children have a sinful nature. And yet we also see the work of the Spirit in our children, though not head for head, as we often say. But we do see that. In you children, in you young people, and to hear you sing praises to God and to hear you talk about the word of God. To hear you desiring to, to grow in wisdom and to see you fighting against sin, sorrowing for your sin and us together talking about the things of the kingdom. What a joy. How is it that our children, that we see in our children, a desire to glorify God? The work of the Spirit of Christ who died for them, for us, for them. It's all of God's grace. And when you think of what is said here about creation of man and you can apply that to us in Christ Adam was created that he might heartily love God you can apply that to us in Christ that we might heartily love him and live with him in eternal happiness To glorify and praise him. Eternally happy. That's true of us. In all of the sorrows we have in this life. In all the struggles we go through. We do confess. We have the beginning of that everlasting joy 
you'll be happy forever. Think of how people say that in stories, and they lived happily ever, la- ever after. That's true. That's true of us. We will live happily with our God, with Christ, with all God's people forever. The grace, the mercy of our God. How thankful, how thankful we are. May we praise him. We are such sinners saved by his grace. May we glorify and praise his holy name. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, O Lord our Father, hallowed be thy great name. Thou art our Father. We belong to thee. We belong to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are so thankful that we know thee and that we have fellowship, covenant, communion with thee. Father, grant us grace to magnify thy name. Forgive our many sins. Strengthen us as we fight against our enemy, including our sinful nature. Grant us grace to magnify thy great name, for thou art worthy. Grant this to us and to all thy people, for Christ's sake. Amen.